Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Your saltwater guide, Captain Dave Hansen, with another phenomenal show today. We got a really good special guest, longtime friend, longtime buddy, longtime fishing pal. We're going to bring him in in a few minutes. We got to touch on a little bit of business real quick, and then we'll get going. Gang, those of you that have never seen the show before, we go live Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And then uh, we go out across Spotify, Apple, Megaphone, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, right after the show's live. But the show is live on Facebook and YouTube every single day, Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And gang, I want to let you all know we got the flags. The flags are in. All members of your saltwater guide, you can start purchasing your flags and showing your colors. The boat flags are in. We'll uh, do a real solid announcement on about them on Monday, but the flags are in, so everybody can start getting those flags dis distributed across uh, all the members. And thank you, everybody, for all the views and all the likes and all the subscriptions. Across all social media, I'm totally blown away every single day. And, oh, my gosh, on Spotify, Megaphone, and Apple Podcasts, that we're growing so fast, it just blows my mind. Also, I want to mention Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance. They're our big sponsor for Friday's shows. Thank you, Larry and the boys over at Peace Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance. We'll do a little announcement about that company here as we get rolling along. But with no further ado, let's bring in the man, Michael Falks. Inside Sport Fishing made him famous. But I knew about him long before that show. So, Mike, thanks for joining us today. I'm sorry to throw you in the hot seat. Tim Ekstrom had a little problem with one of his crew members, but Michael jumped right in and said he'd take over. So thank you, Michael. Oh, my pleasure. And I hope Timmy's uh, deckhand's going to be all right, Gary. Yeah, he took one of those uh, knife jigs into the arm. And <laughs> Tim had to go run the boat. So Yeah. But you know what? I'm so happy that that happened. I'm sorry about his deck, Kim, but to have you here is an honor. And thank you very much. You got so much cool stuff going on right now. And uh, I haven't really talked to you since the Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Show, where you kind of gave us a sizzle reel and let us see a little bit about what you're doing and interviewed a bunch of us in the industry. So why don't you let everybody out there that's watching know what the heck's going on? Well, thanks, Dave, first of all, for having me back. It's always a pleasure. It's great to see you again. And, and uh, congratulations on your show and everything that's going on for you. I just, I'm so proud of what you've done. You and Elliot together have accomplished something that just, like you said, it blows your mind. So yeah. you guys are doing a great job and I'm, I'm proud and I'm honored to be here. So thanks for having me. Thank you. As far as everything that's going on, we, uh, it was funny, we, on March 1st, 2020, so it's been over three years that we decided that we're going to do this. And I made the decision to go ahead and, and put all the eggs into one basket. And, and it's called the tribute to the uh, history of sport fishing. Um, and we're, uh, it started out, I think you remember, I told you it was going to be sort of a endless summer meets Ken Burns. And about 60 minutes into the first edit, I realized there's no way that we're going to tell this story in 60 minutes or 90 minutes. So I said, we're going to cut the content. 
and we're going to take what we have and we're just going to keep working with it and building a story. And we're, uh, we're looking at a 10 hour, 10 part documentary series now. And we've got nine of those chapters finished. So there's some light coming over the end of the end of the horizon there. I think we're going to hopefully have the 10th chapter wrapped up by the middle of next month. And they call those the creative the director's cuts. So we'll have 10 hours of, of director's cuts ready to go to the marketplace. And um, we've got a deal memo signed with uh, Coven Films, which is a huge international distributor. And um, they're starting to shop it around a little bit. Netflix, National Geo, Fox Nations, OLN, they've all looked at it and they all really like it. So fingers crossed that somebody's going to step up and say, we want it. We want to, we want to, we want to launch this series for you guys on our, our runway. Oh, I think that I, I don't think you're going to have a problem somebody picking it up. It's going to be so exciting, but give everybody that's listening. Cause you and I, we talked about this a lot over the last three years, but gang, you don't understand what Michael's been able to put together. He has some of the most unbelievable footage of back in the day when there really wasn't any cameras involved. And then yep. here comes Michael folks. And if you guys don't know who Michael is, he used, to, he had a TV show that made sport fishing so relevant and, you did so much for the industry. My dad used to say, man, my, you and Pete Gray, the two of you just brought us to the forefront of everybody. And we were on the tip of everyone's tongues because of what you and you and Pete were able to accomplish back in the day. Inside Sport Fishing was one of the most spectacular shows to showcase sport fishing around the world. You went and did it, the stuff that we could only dream of. And you put it out there so that we could watch it on television, which was incredible. And we all... As captains, we just thought that when we were on your show, we felt like we had made it. <laughs> well, thanks, David. It's it's been a it's been a great journey. I don't think I would trade it for anything in the world. Um, fortunately, like Elliot's got up on the screen right now, we, we were able to um, relaunch the series off of Fox onto Amazon Prime. So we're on Prime right now. We're streaming twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. It's all free. So. Um, and I think we've got close to 300 uh, half-hour episodes um, that are available right now from the Inside Sport Fishing series. And uh, there's some really, really good shows in there. But this new series that we're putting together on the history of the sport, I think, is the culmination of my life's work, to be honest with you. I feel like the reason I'm still here was to do this film. And the most amazing thing is that every, every step of the way, every time we get to a point, and we need another something, it's there. It just comes out of nowhere. It just seems like it materializes itself. The IGFA, for example, um, we reached out to Jason and Gail over there at the IGFA, and, and they said, whatever we have, whatever's in our vaults that you guys need, uh, you're welcome to them. So they've, the IGFA has opened up their historical vaults to us, uh, Catalina Island Museum, the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum, um, Balboa Angling Club, San Diego Marlin Club, Tuna Club, West Palm Beach Fishing Club, every organization, Trout Unlimited, um, Orvis, Daiwa, everybody that we've talked to just says, oh, my God, what can we do to help make this story that you're telling as complete as possible? So these guys have really just transformed the process by allowing us access to some of this, like you said, footage that's never been seen before. We've got 1911, 1912 movie footage of the very first fly fishing uh, film footage ever shot. We got this great sequence of this guy catching a bass off the rocks in, um, in 1911, I believe. And 
and we cut to Oliver who's catching, he's, he got a 17 pounder and they're, they're both going through the exact same motion, how they set the hook, how they squat down, how they're moving and how they, I mean, it's just parallel. Boom, boom, boom. 125 years ago, they're catching bass the same way we're catching it today. At least the anglers are going through the same processes. So to be able to, to bring that into a storyline and, and, and tell the history of the sport in as comprehensive a, a manner as we're able to do now, it's just, it's, it's just been such a privilege to give back to something that I've enjoyed doing since I can remember my grandfather or parents taking me fishing before I could almost walk. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor. The way you tell a story and the way you put things together was all brought right up to the forefront for me. I remember Todd Manser going, you got to see this, Dave. You got to see this. And we sat together and we watched Tribute to Tuna. And that's when we were like, wait a minute. That's the guy that's running that charter boat in San Diego. Michael Fox. Listen to him tell the story. We're like, Todd and I thought we knew how to tell a story. But then we were like, oh, my God, this is incredible. If you guys have never seen Tribute to Tuna, if you watch that, then you'll understand what's going on here and what Michael's right on the edge of presenting to all of us. This is the, what you've done, the way you put it together, the little bits and pieces that I've got to see. You definitely did not spare any of the story. You show everybody, and you don't just touch on salt. You touch on Fred. You touch on everything that has to do with fishing. Yes, sir. Incredible. If you touched everybody. You went out, you talked to all the players on the freshwater, the saltwater, the fly fishing. You touched everything. You tell one of the most eloquent stories, and you uh, make all of us so relevant. It's insane. Thank you, David. Thanks. It's, it's, uh, it, it's been a pleasure. Honestly, it's been a pleasure, and I, I just feel blessed to, to – I look at it as though I'm just sort of like the vessel, and all this information's coming down. And it's just funneling in here and all these sources are saying, Hey, we need to include this. We need to be here. And all this information is coming in and I'm just funneling it, funneling it onto the screen. So it's been a, it's been a, a tremendous challenge to assimilate all this information. And I've just been blessed uh, with a couple of people that have come out of the woodwork, honestly, out of nowhere. Uh, Tammy Ebbets Hahn, whose dad, was the uh, chief photographer in the 1940s and the 1950s for the city of Miami. He was the head of the Miami's publicity department and he was an avid fisherman and he became really good friends with, um, uh, got Ted Williams and, and Joe Brooks and all these big time guys back in the forties and fifties. And, and Tammy has just been an amazing uh, researcher and, and writer for this project along with Dr. Terry Battisti, who is a bass historian, probably the most knowledgeable bass historian alive and between the two of them I, I told terry i said okay terry we need about 20 pages for an hour of a, a script and it's it's you know it's it's about three minutes a page is what it comes out to so he sent me 180 pages <laughs> i said so you know i've had to cut 180 pages of, of, of bass fishing down to 20 um but it's it's uh it's phenomenal um the the I never really got to fish bass much when I grew up. I, I moved out to from the rural foothills of Virginia fishing trout and stuff. Crappy when I was a kid to fishing calico bass and stuff in Newport Bay when I was nine. So I've been a saltwater addict my entire life. 
And I have gotten to do some freshwater bass fishing down in El Salto and a couple of places, you know, Barrett Lake and things that we've got invited to go to. Uh, Diamond Bar when it first opened, Diamond Lake. Um, and, and that top water is just amazing. But spending the last couple of months immersed in freshwater bass fishing, what a sport. What, what a challenge. That I remember going on a long-range trip with Frank Lopresti, my first 16-day trip. I'm up in the wheelhouse. I'm all nervous. I'm shaking. I'm just a complete leap on a tree. And, and you know, I'm in the wheelhouse with Frank Lopresti. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? I asked him what his favorite fish is, and he goes, bass. we're going to catch 200 pound yellowfin tuna in wahoo and he wants to catch bass what's wrong with this guy (laughs) i'm addicted now this topwater bass stuff is as fun as it gets so johnny morris i had a great conversation with uh, dylan paulson who's the ceo of bass pro pro shops and johnny morris yesterday and there uh there's frank and uh uh, i was going to do the interview for frank down there and uh yeah, anyway, the, the Bass Pro Shop guys are are, uh, are very interested in working with us on this, which is finally going to be, I think, the final uh, the final piece of the puzzle is, is getting them locked in. And Panagonia, we're talking to Panagonia. We're moving into a chapter. Chapter 10 is the conservation, the future of the sport, passing the baton, family, and, and you know, the fact that the children are holding the future of the sport and what we can do, what we've, the mistakes we've made in the past, building too many dams, you know, destroying habitat, how these dams are being removed now, how the Everglades are being restricted, you know, reconstructed. Um, The White Sea Bass Hatchery Program out here has just been phenomenal, getting rid of the inshore gill nets. All the things that we've done in the past that have caused issues and problems, we're taking a look at that and then what what has been done to solve those problems and what's being done as we move forward to secure the future of the sport. The, The big emphasis on the whole film, David, to be honest with you, is to... I'm trying to capture the passion, the joy, um, the satisfaction, the relationships that fishing brings to me as a human being and brings to all of us as individuals. I think it's innate within our DNA to be a part of nature. And, and what I wanted to try to do with this film is to show the general population, not just avid anglers, that, that fishing is a phenomenal sport and can be shared your entire life, generational, from six years old to, to 80-year-old guys can fish kids, women, it doesn't matter. And, and hopefully educate the general population to a point that there's a huge difference between a sport fisherman and a commercial fisherman. And, and you cannot hurt a fishery with a rod, reel, and a piece of string. I don't care how good of an angler you are. I don't care how experienced you are. You cannot hurt a fishery with a rod, reel, and a piece of string. But you start wrapping thousands and thousands of miles of inshore gill nets and high seas gill nets and long lines around the planet, you're going to hurt. You're going to hurt a fishery. So what we're going to try and what we're trying to do in this film is to really educate the extremists, if you will. There's no greater conservationist in the world than anglers and those that are actually out there participating in the sport, enjoying the, the outdoors, being on the water, hiking, kayaking. It doesn't matter if you're fly fishing, bass fishing, or, or chasing marlin. You love the sport and you respect the environment that you're participating in. And if you love something, you're going to protect it. So hopefully this film will, will open the eyes to a lot of people and, and, um, and help educate the general population about what a joy the sport is and, and that, that anglers are the true conservationists of the sport. And we're not hurting the fishery at all. But, and we've got to manage commercial fisheries through science and not politics. Right. I think 
I think your timing on this thing is perfect because right now we're under the biggest attack we've ever been under. And it's so sad because, and I have, I love commercial fishermen and I have nothing against them. You guys work as hard as any man on the, on the planet. Because I like to eat seafood and I like to eat shrimp and I love scallops and I love lobsters and I love abalone and I couldn't eat any of that if it wasn't for them. I heard you like clams too. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of into that a little bit, but that's for a nighttime show. Okay, sorry. But, but gang, we're like, I talk about every day on the show and we talk about it all the time. Michael summed it up perfect and we didn't even talk about this before, but you cannot have an adverse effect of the population of the fish in the ocean with the rod and reel. But unfortunately, the word fisherman gets attached to anybody that fishes. Exactly. Our sport. And then people that don't pay attention to the real world, like these people, like you were saying, the politicians and everything, they're just attacking all of it. They just lump us all into a one big thing. So this film is going to touch on so many great things that need to be addressed that nobody has ever even thought, thought of. And if you didn't get to see Michael Folks's uh, inside sport fishing and the tribute to tuna and all the ways that he tells stories, do yourself a favor and go look at that. It's like he said, it's running on Amazon. You go see what he did and go see all these different films that he made. And you can understand how when he's telling the story, he's telling the real story. He's not telling something that was propped up by the governor of California or the mayor of of uh or whatever yeah. town he's actually telling the real honest to god story with the real captains and the real people that have done it and he's he's with commercial fishermen and he's with tactile manufacturers and he's with but you were telling me right before we went live you got bill dant yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Bill, bill bill in fact um it's just phenomenal bill dance he's just Phenomenal. One of the nicest men I've ever met. And his, and his daughter, Pamela, and his wife, they're just phenomenal people. And I can see why he is probably the most most recognized angler on the planet. And we get, we've got some phenomenal, never-before-seen interview footage with him, some historical footage out of his archives. It's phenomenal. The Ray Scott story and how they started BASS uh, and, and how Johnny Morris got started with eight feet of shelf space in his dad's liquor store. I mean, he started... Bass Pro Shops, his dad gave him eight feet of space in his liquor store. And that's how Johnny started Bass Pro Shops. And since then, he has donated hundreds of millions of dollars back into conservation and, and ecology and the future of the sport, education, children, the whole thing. So, but the coolest thing was I sent, uh, I sent Bill Dance a rough cut of the chapter that, you know, the bass chapter. And when he got done, he said, I got to tell you, on a scale of one to 10, this is a 14. And that's the size of his biggest bass ever was a 14 one. So we're, oh, we're thinking about he actually calling the movie the, the 14.1. But yeah, Bill's Bill's in love with it. He just thinks it's a, he said it's the best thing he's ever seen. He couldn't stop talking about it, which is pretty, pretty satisfying to, to be able to show a bass angler of his, his stature and his reputation. And, and he's done, he's had a show on the air for 40 years. I mean, he knows how to produce television. And for him to say it's the best thing he's ever seen on the sport just sent chills down my spine. So um, I think we I think we're on to something pretty special. Um, and like you said, we're doing a tribute across the board from the earliest earliest uh, rod and reel fisheries, fresh saltwater fly fishing, saltwater fly fishing to, 
to big game and uh, competition, everything in between. Oh, it's it's incredible. The little bit that I got to see when I was up there, we did that interview a couple of years ago, and you, well, we got to see the, the what do you call that film? The the, the rough cut? The self, no, the the original film in the can that you had that was oh, like. Oh, the raw footage. Oh, that's no the the old stuff that you were so worried I was going to get ruined because no one was taking care of it. What do you call that? Cellulite. cellulite. The original cellulite films. They were, and I was like, oh my gosh! And you're like, look, and you're showing me through your edit thing, and I'm like, wow! I can't believe that I'm getting shown this stuff. And I'm sure Bill had to feel the same way, where because. Like I keep saying, gang, if you haven't heard Michael tell the story, I'm not eloquent. You know me. I'm just, you guys are all watching because I'm like a NASCAR race. You just wait for the crash. <laughs> wait for the rooster fish. <laughs> wait for me to play a rooster fish. But when you hear Michael, he's so eloquent with the way he tells the story about fishing. And today with the children, you talked about it before, Mike, and we got to talk about it all the time. Children are being taught the wrong thing. And they're being taught that if you go outside and go fishing, that you're a criminal. And we know that's the first, that's what saved our lives. That's why you and I are here right now. Is because Absolutely. Of it, Absolutely. Because if we would have stayed in our old ways, we wouldn't be here right now. No, we wouldn't. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. The fact that we survived the 60s is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And thank God we didn't have cameras. I no, we, we, no, we would have been in trouble. Yeah. We, we would have been in big trouble. No one would be watching the show right now. That's for damn sure. No. But yeah. um, again, so real, real quick, we just have to do something real quick. We got Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance, Larry Hansen and the boys over there. They, they promote my show on Fridays. They're my number one sponsor. They got a trip coming up on, on a sport boat called The Success. Larry's phone number's all over the place. He's on the show all the time. We had him on here. Check out the phone number, gang. Right now, fishing. Michael will tell you, fishing right now in Southern California is like historic. This bluefin, this yellowfin, this barracuda fishing, the sand bass fishing. Every, the tables, it's like the it's like the 60s and 70s right now out here. It's just, well, really, that bluefin thing, no one had ever seen that or they forgot to record it. And you have, you have all the archives of the Tuna Club. So, gang, if you have a chance to get on this trip on the success with 10 people, you want to jump on it, give Larry a call, check it out. Elliot will throw up the QR code or whatever he's going to do. He'll make sure that you get a chance to, but you want to make sure that you don't miss this trip. 10 people on a, that's, on a, a, private, that's a private yacht. Pretty much. Yeah. You want to check it out, gang. So make sure you let Larry know you heard about it on the, on the, your saltwater guide podcast and, He'll give you a smoking hot deal because you're you're watching Captain Dave. Check it all out. But let's go back to what we were talking about, Michael. The kids, how important it is to get when the children get to watch this movie with their dads and their grandpas and the grandpa, like me. When I watched it, little pieces at your house, I was crying. I had tears coming out of my eyes. I had just lost my father. Things were really real in my life, and I was like, "Holy moly, this is real." And a lot of you remember going fishing with your dad or going fishing with your grandpa. This is going to bring all that. And I don't care if you fished on a lake or a stream or in the ocean, wherever you fished, it was all brought to you by your, by your dads or your grandpas or your, one of your friends. Uncle or some, 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 some elder, some, some adult in your life introduced you to the sport. And 
the statistics say that if you're not actively fishing by the time you're 12, you're never going to become an angler. So, I mean, there's always the exception, but the general consensus is you've got to be introduced to fishing at a young age. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, we used to take kids out when we'd make mackerel in the afternoon before a marlin trip, and they'd have the time of their lives, and all we were doing was making bait, but it was changing their lives. So just, you know, if you get a chance, take a kid fishing. It'll be something that it's a gift that you could be giving someone for the rest of their lives. Yeah, the, see the picture that Elliot has up there right now? This was a trip I just did in the Sea of Cortez two weeks ago. I took five young men and they're and two dads, and we went up to Sea of Cortez. We caught marlin, dorado, roosterfish. We caught everything. These kids had the time of their lives. I got so many cool videos with these kids catching all these great fish. They had a really phenomenal time. I mean, this little blue marlin, they had a great time. We let that thing go. There he goes. He's on yep. his way, but... Gang, you don't understand. If you haven't taken a child fishing, you have no idea how, how your heart swells up when you see that. Look at the smile yep. on Bo's face. He's so excited to show you about the lobster he just learned about diving with me. We went diving. We caught that lobster, brought it back to the boat. He wanted to make a video. This is all the stuff <laughs> that is going to be. Yeah, he's trying. I'm trying to tell him. We cannot kill that, Bo. We cannot kill it. He wants to eat it so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Little but short. Don't you agree? Totally. I mean, it, it's, you know, I look back at my life and, and I think you said it when we first started the show. I mean, my grandparents and, and parents took me fishing. I was four years old and I was fishing in this little pond, this little uh, concrete pond with a plastic, big, fat, thick plastic hook with these little goldfish. And I'd walk like two blocks. I was four years old. I'd take my rod and reel and bucket and I'd hike two blocks down the, down the street from my grandparents' house and I found this little pond fountain in the back of the neighbor's house. And I'd spend all day there trying to catch these fish with a big plastic red hook. And uh, it's been that way for me my entire life. So I just, I, you know, it's, it's a gift that will give and continue to give for the rest of someone's life. If you're introduced to fishing at a young age and, and embrace it. And it's, it's just Billy bite or, um, Barry Breitenberg uh, did an interview with us early on when we started this, and he said it's in your DNA that that the, the, the desire to hunt is built into our DNA, and um, so it's just it's it's putting your you're putting yourself at one with nature is when you give yourself an opportunity, and it's like you and me, you know, say, hey Dave, let's go for, let's go fishing. You go, yeah, I'm not gonna say let's go for a walk on the beach. But you'll say, hey, let's go out and do some surf fishing. So we're having a good time, you know, but we're not holding hands as we're walking on the beach. Right. We're holding, we're holding hands as we're making casts into the surf there. Oh, and, and laughing. And it's the whole thing about fishing and being outside, like Michael said before, just being in touch with the world and being outside and being in touch with the whole thing. I think that's what this movie's going to be about going to bring families together and bring so much camaraderie and grandparents and oh yeah it's just going to be insane it's going to be absolutely insane i just would for me it's like come on get it out it's, the same way. It's, been, it's been a long long haul man but we're almost there david Another, well, because you, do, you don't do anything half-assed. You're doing it the right way. You're making sure that everybody is representative. In, there's my monkey. Yeah, I see him in the background. Marley. Kelly just brought him back into the room. But, yeah, it's 
I know that it's going to be put together the best possible way. And I know it's going to change a lot of people's lives. And the, the amount of people you have, just let's just talk about a few of the people that you have in here, like Frank Lepresti. There's a guy who wanted to make sure that he was a part of this thing because not because he owns Fisherman's Land and he owns just because he tells, like he said, he can talk back to the days when he was 10 years old going out fishing with my dad off the San Clemente Pier. Yeah, so he, he remembers it like it was yesterday. Yep. yep. I was going to say your dad took him under his wing and started it. Exactly. So, and, yeah, there's, I mean, there's there are so many, so many people in this sport that need to be acknowledged. It's the hardest thing we've had to do is, 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 is figure out who's in and who's out, you know, and we're just trying to make, pay tribute to every single person we can that, that needs to be acknowledged. And there's no way it's going to happen. So, but we're doing the best we can to get as much of it out there as we can. There's Tim Ekstrom. My dad sure. said he's right. the smartest fisherman he ever met. The smartest. He's like the mad scientist. He came up with the RSW. The guy is best. He's going to be on the show next week. That's, That's Tim Ekstrom. Talk about Tim for a minute. Oh, Tim's amazing. That's when he bought the Royal star with Randy. And um, I remember I had the vintage hauled out and we were right next to the Royal star down at Driscoll's and um, Randy looks over at me and says, what are you doing? I said, I just bought this boat. And he goes, I thought you were smarter than that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Timmy, Timmy's just phenomenal. He's, he's one of the most intelligent, well-versed articulate men in the, in the industry. And, and, you know, he does a great, great job on the reports and his, and his logs. It's just, I mean, we, we're so spoiled in Southern California with the level of crews and captains and boats that we have available to fish with. If you don't own your own boat and don't have a yacht or a skiff, you can go out on a sport boat from a half-day trip to, to 18 days, 22 days, and have the time of your life on, on a boat that's based in Southern California. And a lot of that um, can, can be traced back to Bill Poole, to be honest with you. Bill Poole, coming out of the Second World War uh, as a veteran, after being stationed in Hawaii, got back to California. His dad was running a gas station. He said, Dad, you know, I decided I want to be a fisherman. I want to make fishing my life. His dad goes, well, you know, son, I might just sell the station and go with you. So they bought an old schooner, uh, a converted schooner, and they were doing, you know, anchor fishing off Point Loma. And um, after a while, he, you know, he got the original Polaris and ran his early trips to Guadalupe and that, and that early Polaris. No, no water makers, no showers, nothing, you know, and, uh, and he, and Bill decided, I think we can, we can build better boats than what are available to us. And he started the pool. He worked with Todd Chafee and they started the pool, pool boat building company. And, and that's Ingrid and Bill right there on top of the Blair Supreme back in 1975 when it was just being framed out. And that it's on a dirt lot down in Chula Vista. And they just built the boat on a dirt lot. And they had some break-ins. And, and so one of Bill's sons, Stein, came home from work one day. And he goes, Dad, I just got my driver's license. And Bill goes, great. And he throws him the keys. And, and Stein catches him. He goes, for me? And he goes, yeah. After you do your homework, grab the dog and a shotgun. You're on guard duty and <laughs> down at the boat yard. Oh, my God. So, I mean, yeah. The, the, the San Diego-based long-range fleet, and the entire sport fishing fleet all the way up the coast and then to San Francisco and North. It, it's just, we have, we're so lucky. We're so lucky. I don't think if, 
I don't think a lot of people at Fish our Southern California fleet knows how lucky we are to have the captains and crews and boats that we have available to us. They're right. Stein. Yeah, they're Stein down at Bill's house uh, in Angus house there in Point Loma. There's a lot of people watching us back east and in Florida and Texas. One thing that they can't comprehend, wrap their head around, is the live bait that we have here, the supply of live bait, the Everyham Brothers and, and the other bait companies up and down the coast. We have a live bait fishery here that you guys can't even comprehend. We pull up to a bait. I gotta, I'm going to jump on you for a minute with this picture going on. That oh, yeah. Most of, that's Bill Poole up at, uh, at, um, with Seth Bone at Kingfisher Charters in Sitka, Alaska. And that's his, five, I think that was a 400 or 390 pound halibut. Bill had just been diagnosed with a heart condition. And he, he told his doctor, he says, you know, I've got this fishing trip planned to Alaska. Is it okay if I go? And the doctor says, yeah, it's fine. You know, just take it easy. The doctor <laughs> saw this footage and about had a heart attack. <laughs> he said, I thought you were going fishing. I didn't know you were gonna go out there and slay monsters. Right. So. Um, and uh, yeah, Seth, 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 Seth runs one of the finest operations in Alaska. What do you think, Seth? Well, we got a few halibut today, Mike. <laughs> Looks like it. Yeah, Bill got him a real dandy here. We got a got a lot of nice fish here, but Bill got a particularly large one, trophy-sized halibut. We're gonna see how much it weighs here. Any one of them's a trophy. <laughs> Pretty special stuff, but you're right about the live bait fishery. They they fish bait back east, but mostly it's mullet and and you know a lot of uh, fresh frozen. Um, nobody fishes live bait like we do in Southern California. Nobody. My mind, anything under 300 was going to get turned loose because I leave a big one, you'll 200 to 300. But I thought it, if I thought it was 300, I wanted to come in and get a picture. But uh, it's a shame to kill a fish like that. You know it's. What the hell are you gonna do when he's up? He was dead by the time he got to the surface. Yeah, that's what you were saying. He died on you down yeah, deep. He died on the bottom and had an awful time getting him up. Yeah, that was a real interesting fight. He, he went off, Bill hooked him up, and he went off on a long run, way out. Off the bow. Oh, yeah, way out around the bow, around the anchor line. We weren't even sure what it was. We thought it might have been a big shark, the way it was acting. Finally, Bill got it around, threw it on the other side of the boat, and then it was finally straight down. And, uh, from then on, it was just a, a struggle. This just yeah, no, no life. Heavy. Just, if you ever once, ever 15 minutes, you'd feel a tail beat. Otherwise, you just think you're hung in the bottom. <laughs> just a boy. You talk about dead weight. Exactly. <clears throat> Bill's such a cool guy. Yes, he was. Yep. Yeah. So is Ingrid. Ingrid's carrying on that tradition. I tip my hat to everyone down there. You know, Frank Yosetti, Frank Plessy, Timmy, Randy, all those guys. They're just so we got we got a pretty incredible thing coming up, and I know you're very very close with this human being, but we got the Anthony Shea Lifetime Conservation Award going to Bill Shed on August third. We're doing it at the uh, at the uh, Hubs Research Center, and then we're going over to SeaWorld. And then you know the story. You know Bill Shed. His father was Milton Shed. He created SeaWorld. If your friend, sisters, brothers tells you that they had something to do with the creation of SeaWorld, they're lying. The sheds are the, they built SeaWorld. The story's incredible. If you ever want to see it or hear it, I have a phenomenal interview with Bill Shed talking all about his father. But 
you got Bill Shed to work with you on this movie. Talk about that for a few minutes, if you could. And gang, if any of you want to join us, we still have tickets available. Elliot's putting the QR code up there. You can grab that with your phone. All the money goes to CCA, which is probably one of the most important things we could possibly have Absolutely. going for it. Yep. It's the only, only voice at the table that we really have in this political night we're going on to stop fishing on the united states of america and cca is our only voice but you can have dinner see maybe after you hear what michael has to say about bill maybe that'll get you motivated to come sit down and have dinner with us well you know the dinner sounds like it's going to be a phenomenal event and no one deserves it more than bill shed i mean his dad his family they started at a basement and on a, on a house on Lido island you know with a neighbor and they and they built it into afco one of the most respected and reputable fishing manufacturers in the world. And, you know, since day one, and I don't think very many people know this, and I hope it's okay to say it, Bill, I didn't get permission from you, but they have donated 10% of their gross earnings since day one to conservation. Millions and millions and millions of dollars has been donated by AFCO to conservation programs around, around the country and around the world with no fanfare. They don't make a noise about it. They just do it. And, and Bill has been involved. Uh, on multiple board members, uh, uh, on multiple conservational efforts. And it's probably one of the hardest working, most knowledgeable um, contemporary researchers on conservation in the, in the world today, especially around marine biology. So, um, you know, having him involved in the film is going to be a, a huge plus because he knows, he knows the critical issues. And, um, and again, on the film, we're going we're gonna to point out the mistakes that have been made in the past, but most importantly, we're going to point out what's been done by anglers to, um, there he is, um, what, what's been done by anglers as individuals since almost the beginning of time uh, through today and how, we're, how we can continue to, to support the environment and conservation. And, and again, it's, it's, it's the extremist. It's the extremist that are saying ban fishing. It's, it's just such a small majority of people, but they have, from what I've been told, they have a $1 billion chest fund, uh, war chest, to ban fishing in the United States. And their goal is to ban it, to ban fishing 100%. They're saying 30 by 30, which means they want to close 30% of all fisheries by 2030. That's their immediate goal. But their long-term goal is to ban the sport entirely, coast to coast, which is insane. But it's those extremists that have those that, that have that they've got a, a war chest of funding and they're and that's all they do they're just marketing anti-fishing so hopefully this film will will kind of put it and cca is is our voice um even if you can just send in 10 bucks 20 bucks anything anything you can do to help if you love to fish your cca um globally i mean across the country uh is, is where you want to put some money and you know, Bass Pro Shops does the same thing. They donate, they, they round up on their, on their sales, you know, when you're buying stuff and, and, and they offer a, a huge percentage of gross sales back into the environment. So the, the manufacturers are leading the way. Dial is the same way. Dial is putting in a huge um, uh, amount of money every year from their gross sales into conservation. So the companies, the big companies that we love to fish with and use their equipment for, are contributing, but I think it always comes down to the individual. So CPR, catch photograph release, you know, take what you, 
take what you can use, use what you take, and release the rest. Yeah, you know what a funny thing is, Michael, is everybody was like, there's no way with your background and who you are, Dave, and the message that you're always, and it's just a stick. It's my right. stick. It's a joke. It's fun. And But they're like, there's no way Bill's going to sit down with you and do an interview. And we did an interview for an hour and a half. He was the most gracious human ever. You know, I don't ask for nothing. I, I have zero affiliation with AFCO. Right. I didn't ask him for anything. I just wanted to get his story on, on. I just wanted to get his story yep. on. And I got his story on, and I was so stoked. I was yeah, me too, David. We have no affiliation with him at all, other than the fact that you know Bill was actually the quarterback when I was a high school a wide receiver. So wow. Bill threw the ball, and I was the receiver for years. We played football together at Newport Harbor. Um, so we've had a long, long history, but we've never had any official association with him. But but having Bill and Afco involved in the film is just another example of how industry leaders like like you know like the IGFA, Trout Unlimited, you know, Bonefish Tarpon Trust, all these guys are stepping up and saying what, you know, the, the, the Golden Gate Casting and uh, Rod and Reel Club. I mean, everybody's saying, what can we do to help? And uh, so it's just, it's just been a blessing. Oh, absolutely. That's some great footage there from AFCO. Yeah. I have the same kind of stuff on that interview with Bill. He gave me full tour of the whole facility and everything at AFCO. And like Michael said, we don't have an affiliation. I'm not sponsored or pro staff or anything with AFCO. I just have a ton of respect for the man. I think they're testing roller guides there. Um, and yeah, his, dad, his dad was so influential and just, I don't know. I know that whole blackfish baloney. That was all propaganda too, because like Bill said, when I interviewed him, the whole SeaWorld thing, before they came along, they used killer whales. The United States Navy used them as target practice because they acted like a submarine. Jeez, that's sick. And, that, and that's all in the interview. And then when you see that they put those killer whales in those tanks, because why? They needed, they needed something to draw the public in so they could keep doing the research on all the different fisheries. Without money... None of that's possible. Exactly. So you say they gave back, Bill gives back, AFCO gives back, Akuma gives back, Shimano gives back, Daiwa gives back. All these companies understand how important it is to give back because everybody wants to take it from us right now. Yep. And to get that set down with Bill and have him tell his story and do all that for, for all of my uh, members on my website at yoursaltwaterguide.com. It was an incredible interview. And I learned a ton about him and a ton about his father and a ton about how much they actually care about all of us getting a chance to fish. The whole family, the whole family. He's, both sons are working with Bill now and his daughter. So it's just, it's a family business that, that has global impact, which to me is the American dream. Yeah, it's incredible. If you don't know his story, go watch it on my uh, go watch it on my website. And if not, watch Michael's movie. You'll get to hear a lot about Bill. There's going to be a lot said about him. But yeah, he has something to do with every aspect of fish, and AFCO's in everybody. It's it's the American Fishing Company. It has it doesn't have a wall. Oh, we're just West Coast now. It's all over. Yep, yep. There's his dad. There's Milt. There's Bill. Later is SeaWorld. Another harness on. Yep. Yep. Incredible. Yep. So we got a, we got a, we got 
we got about 15 more minutes. Mention a few of the other things that you have on this movie because you already have nine parts. What are we going to see? What's it? Give us a rundown, a tiny bit, maybe. Sure. Well, um, we we start at the beginning with cavemen, you know, with uh, with you know spearing fish and, and trying to figure out how to how to harvest for food. And the sport evolved from an act of survival, like hunting and fishing and, and farming, to into a sport. And that all happened basically in the in the late 1880s, 1890s, when they started taking after the you know the colonies were were developed. Obviously, when the, when the new world was discovered and, and, and uh, they started fishing a lot of the bass, uh, black bass were considered a junk fish. Bass fishing was considered a poor man's activity, uh, not a very good eating fish. Trout was the exclusive elite. But when they started taking this original striped bass gear to the salt water and started catching striped bass off the beach, they thought maybe we could catch a fish over 25 pounds, you know. And then there was a fish that was close to 100 pounds caught down off Florida in 1880, uh, tarpon. And that was really what set the, set the whole thing. The first fish over 100 pounds was in Florida. Uh, some of the guys from the West Coast saw that. They came out here, Holder, um, Colonel Morehouse. They started the tuna club. They got the first tuna um, in 1896. Uh, I think the first 100-pound tuna was captured. And then uh, Frederick Holder who started the tuna club, caught 180 plus pound tuna, bluefin, uh, in, in 1898. And they started the tuna club. And then after that, a few years later, the first marlin, a few years, 1918, 1913, I think the first swordfish. So the first tuna, first marlin, first broadbill ever caught on a rod and reel in the world, in history, was taken off Southern California. And when Michael says tuna club, we're talking about the Avalon Tuna Club, one of the most historic places for fishing in the world. That's pretty cool. Absolutely incredible. It's like if you're a baseball fan, it's like going to the Hall of Fame. If you're if you're a fishing fan, that is the Hall of Fame of fishing. It's Cooper's water fishing. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal phenomenal club, and it's just all based on on fair practices. Uh, sport fishing practices they said look because they used to fish treble hooks and chains and everything else i mean they, people just slaughtered fish they just it really wasn't a sport to it and then the tuna club came along and said let's let's make this a sporting event let's lose light tackle less fish but more fun you know so it's it's been a pretty phenomenal process and then you know we, we, the neat thing about the story is that we've kind of taken the american the timeline of america and used that as the base for the history of fishing so, you know, once the colonists started to arrive from overseas, we kind of go through the development of fishing through the eyes of the colonists, uh, then into the First and Second World Wars and, and how equipment evolved as America's evolved. In the 50s, following the Second World War, the 50s and the early 60s were absolutely the, the heyday for sport fishing um, because there was all these baby boomers, you know, and all these people coming back from war that got to recreate after being in a horrible situation for years and it's just uh, fishing exploded exploded and then uh ray scott came along in the 60s and said hey why is it fishing on tv you know why every other sport baseball football basketball they all got events so ray scott started the the bass circuit and 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 uh and talked talked uh, beaver uh, the, the chamber of commerce at beaver lake in arkansas to let him host the first event 
And he said, I, I can get a hundred people here for a hundred bucks a piece. And, and, and the guy, the head of the, uh, the, the head of the uh, department there at Beaver Lake says, you know, do you really think you can get a hundred people to pay a hundred dollars to come fishing? He goes, I know I can. He goes, all right. And that's, that's how it all started. And so once the tournament trail got on TV and, and Bill Dance and Roland and Jimmy Houston all started their shows, Hank Parker and everyone else, uh, it, it just took off. But the, the 50s and 60s, I think, were the absolute pinnacle of, uh, of, of fishing, of, of the development of sport fishing. And today we just phenomenal with what we have, the side scan and sonars and, and the pods and everything. I mean, it's, it's almost not fair. <laughs> yeah, my dad tells used to tell me stories about when he was started out in 1947 and it was almost impossible just to get on the pier. There were so many people. Yep. Yep. There were so many people. And when he started running sport boats in the early, early 50s, he said, David, we would carry, if we could carry 40 people, we carried 40 people every single day. Every trip. Every, every trip. day. It just was the thing. Because like Michael said, we just had gone through the worst thing that ever happened to the United States of America and people needed to recreate. And there wasn't an easier, softer way than going fishing. Yep. And everybody fished. I mean, it was women children, men, they're running three trips, morning, afternoon, and twilight, three days a week, they were packing the boat during the oh. summer. And, and, and they had no electronics. So, I mean, you know, finding a spot was all dead recognizing, you know, or, or site, you know, you'd cross, you know, oh, that barn lines up with this rock and there's a rock right here. And, and you know, they'd have a, an up and down and give them their depth and then they'd, they'd find a spot and fish. So it's, it was uh, yeah, when you think about it, you think there's so many more people here now, but back to what we talked about in the beginning of the show, they have such a negative condens or I don't even know the proper word, but a negative way to talk about us is fishing people. Anybody that fishes is looked to as a negative way because of the media, because of schools, because which is wrong. It's so wrong. It's such an easy, soft, kind way to take care of the earth. Absolutely. And it's such a way to soothe your soul. And, and connect with your children and your yeah. wife and your husband and your, and your friends. Friends. Yeah. Oh, my God. The, the laugh, the deep belly laughs we get when we get oh, together. Yeah. And Crazy, talk stuff. About Crazy stuff. Yeah. The love and the camaraderie. When those of us that have grown up fishing our whole lives get together, you just can feel it all the way to the center of your heart. Yep, absolutely. And, and the satisfaction you get in your soul taking a challenge like fishing and, and evolving into a, a, a into a good angler where you know that you can go out and you got a good shot at catching that spotted bay bass, you know, or finding that halibut or figuring out how to get that thresher to bite. You know, I mean, there's so many challenges in fishing. It's, it's just such a satisfying event, such a satisfying process that I, I, I feel sorry for anyone that doesn't fish. There you go. That was a great interview. That was right after we lost dad. Yep. That was an incredible day. Thank, and oh, I'll start crying right now just thinking about it. But we summed it up real easy on that interview. And I use it now all the time when I talk. The whole thing about fishing is getting a bite. Took the words right out of my mouth, sir. It's all about the bite. You just want a bite. It's so incredible. I mean, there's that's Michael's, that's Michael's garage. That's Michael's museum. That's Michael's studio. That is one of the most incredible. When you're in there setting down doing an interview with Michael, you feel it all. It's an overwhelming feeling because you got so much cool stuff from the, from the Catalina fishing 
uh, Catalina Museum, all the stuff in there. Real quick, run over that real fast because I know we, I told you an hour. We got about 15, 12 minutes left. Um, just uh, I, I started collecting when I was, a, I was a kid. My mom said, you need a hobby. And I go, I don't want a hobby. And she goes, you need a hobby. And she goes, figure out something and start collecting something. I said, oh, and I found some freshwater wooden bass plugs with, with, with glass eyes at a, at a garage sale or something back in Virginia when I was a kid. And I went, oh, these are cool, you know, five cents a piece, 10 cents a piece. So I started collecting freshwater bass jigs when I was a kid. It just sort of evolved into, you know, hitting swap meets, the Long Beach, you know, down San Diego, just, you know, chasing tackle, chasing tackle. It's just a fun way to spend a Sunday morning for me. And I uh, was able to accumulate quite a bit of stuff. And, and it's been real helpful to have here. And I use that stuff at the tuna club. That's all wooden. Those are all wooden rods with linen or Dacron line and all pre-1952 reels, which are uh, qualified. You know, the tuna club gives awards for fishing early vintage tackle and, and Dacron and linen lines. And it's just been a sad. That's, that was a nice tuna that I had at, on a, at Guadalupe. And I think that's six thread. So that was a six pound Six thread linen line on a on about an eighty pound tuna, sixty five pound tuna. Forget it was satisfying. I mean, look at the look at the leather thumb drag. Um, so, yeah, I forget what the question was, but oh, I just said talk a little bit about your museum there, real quick. I mean, this is how deep Michael goes into this fishing thing. His when he's in his studio editing, he's setting around all this vintage tackle, all this cool stuff, all these phenomenal pictures. All this really cool stuff that brings the history around. There is nobody, I don't think, on the planet Earth that is more equipped to tell the story than you. And it's going to be a phenomenal story. I cannot wait to see the end product because it's going to be, that's his, that's his garage. That's his studio. That's his uh, museum. That's, yep. that's yep. real. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it resonates in here. I mean, you walk in this room and you can feel the history emanating from the boxes and the reels and the lines and the old skin mounts and the flags. Just, you know, your new flag is totally cool. And it's one of the favorite things I collect is the old flags. I love finding the old flags. They're just so much fun. So um, somebody noticed, I noticed that said Ray Scott, you know, who was it, Brian? Yeah, Brian wrote in, but uh, he was watching uh, the NCAA playoffs. Brian, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a golf. It was the NCAA playoffs that gave him the idea, and we've actually got an interview with Ray Scott that's never been seen before. When he actually talks about the story of how that idea came to him and what it took for him to to actually get the BASS um, circuit launched, and what he had to go through to do that. And also, we got interviews with Bill Dance talking about he had to go into the networks and try to convince the networks that a local fishing show would be successful. And the network executives are going, oh, what, a what, a local fishing show? What's that? No, we're not interested. And how Bill Dance had to fight to get a local network to, to let him put a show on the air. And the rest is pretty much history. But, you know, it's, it's really insightful, insightful elements about the sport that I don't think have ever been put together in a story like this. You know, no. I mean, just it's, it's, and the blending of the historical 100, 120, 130 year old movie film, as well as the old pictures with contemporary 4K footage. I mean, some of the guys today that are out shooting have been so generous um, and donating or allowing me to license some of their highlights from them in order to incorporate this into the film. So we've got some of the best contemporary shooters that are out there today doing videos, 
shooting fishing shows that are contributing some of their footage uh, to help make this film what it is. And it's, it's just such a, collab, a collaborative effort by so many people. Uh, and I'm just so grateful that so many people have been so willing to help make this story come true. Now, we're very blessed to have you being able to tell this story for all of us because it's definitely going to be a tug of most of us that have fished our whole lives. This is going to tug very, very hard on our heartstrings. This is going to be such a great deal for all of us to be involved in and be a part of and just to watch that as you put this thing together and let us all in on a little bit of it. I'm, I'm super excited. Oh, thanks, David. I, I appreciate it. And, and um, you know, I... I keep telling, I'm sitting here and I've been in, I've been in this studio for three years, basically. I haven't left the studio except basically to go to the market, you know, the doctors and, you know, some shit like that. But um, I honestly believe that, um, that some, something really special is being created here. That's something that a hundred years from now, our kids, our grandchildren are going to be able to watch this. And this is a moment in history in the, in the story of sport fishing, that's going to be around, for a hundred years to be told. So yeah, the, there's that fishing on the rocks. When I watched that, I remember when I saw that episode come out and I was like, what? And yeah. you're showing these little pools. Yeah. With the, with the, kitty, with the kitty pools full of mackerel and making bait off the beach. And, and, uh, and I love the line in there. It says rock beats plastic every time, <laughs> you know, when they get out over the ledge and burn. Oh, yeah. You have so much incredible stuff. It's going to be so fun to watch this movie be put together. And gang, if you guys have an opportunity, Michael, where can they go watch all your inside sport fishing? Again, a lot of people jumped on that weren't here in the beginning. Yeah, everything's on Prime. And I think also there's a couple other networks that have um, Gravitas. I can't even pronounce it. One of, the, one of the other distributors picked up the series. So it's being, I think it's on Roku and CV and a couple other networks as well. But it's its out there. If, I think if you just Google it, you're going to be able to find it. Uh, I know it's on Prime, and that's 24-7. So, uh, And then between you and Elliot, you guys are putting videos out every single day across social media, right? They can oh, find you everywhere, right? God, Elliot's just a, Elliot's a, Elliot's a beast. I mean, the guy never rests. Nope, it's pretty incredible. Between yeah. between you and I, I have no idea how he has time, but he helps so many people. Promar, Fishworks, Dana War Sport Fishing, Oceanside Whale Watch. Oh, so many people are involved with Elliot that I can't believe he has enough time to take care of me uh, I'm, I'm you. So, and I. I'm so grateful he's still taking care of you and me. These two old men that had no idea. We have all this great footage, but we couldn't get it out to the people. We had no idea. We didn't know how to get it to the people. Now, because of Elliot, we both get yeah. millions of views. It's yeah. incredible. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's it's pretty humbling. One of the things I talked to with um, with Dylan and, and when we were talking about Johnny Morris yesterday, and Johnny had never even said this publicly until last year, that the millions of dollars that they donate, a lot of it, all of it basically has come through those anglers and outdoors enthusiasts that have gone to Bass Pro Shops and have ordered ordered material online and bought product. And then they take a percentage of that and give it back. So it's like he, he just, Johnny was so passionate about the fact that it wasn't him that's done it. It's each one of us as an individual that's contributed as an individual. When we, 
when we purchase our rod, when we purchase our reel or bait or equipment or gear, motors, boats, whatever, a part of that goes back to the take care of this horse. So as an individual, Johnny was saying, I could, I've done nothing as an individual other than without you guys, I couldn't have done anything. So he was so animate about the fact that it, he's giving credit to the individual anglers, which we deserve, you know, and, and I think we each have pride in that. I remember when I first talked about CPR on the boats, man, I was laughed off the deck, man. They were all laughing on my ass saying, what is wrong with you? Catch, photograph, and release you. I mean, I was called every name in the book, and and I it was on a 105, and they were just giving me, I mean, I was I was just laughed out of the galley. And one, one night there was a, the, the queue had a, a, a day mast, you know, for a stabilizing sail on it at the time, and the boom was coming out, and all these booby boots were sitting on it at night. This guy goes, oh, let's go get the shotgun. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, ah, oh, kill some of those damn birds. And I went, oh, you guys. And he goes, and I go, don't do that. He goes, shut up. You know, they're calling me everything in the book, all the politically incorrect names, all the words I can't use. Um, right. And I said, go ahead. I went and got the camera and I just sat there. I said, all right, go ahead and kill those birds. He <laughs> went, but nobody shot nothing. Nobody shot nothing after that. But I still, I remember that first CPR was like, what is wrong with you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I yeah, we yeah. were CFR. Yeah, yeah. Catch frying, catch frying release. Play and release. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, real quick, promote everything because we're going to get off of here. I promise Elliot we'd only take an hour of his time. You and I can talk forever. I know that. Yeah. I'd like to thank everyone that's tuning in and, and uh, I appreciate um, all the support and uh, all the emails and all the comments on the Facebook and Instagrams. I just thank you guys. It, it, it means the world to me sitting here and getting this kind of feedback because I get buried in it and I really can't see the, the light through the end of the tunnel, but your feedback has been phenomenal. So thank you so much. Yeah. And for you to bring up all the names like Brian Pearson saying right, right now, you know, these names are names that a lot of people don't know, but like Ray Scott gave back like you can't even comprehend, brought the stuff to the forefront and made sure that they were given back all the time. And thank you so much for everybody that's helped the fishing industry. Those of you that are watching, make sure you visit ccacalifornia.org. Like Michael said, a dollar, anything will help. We're, we're up against a giant machine that is trying to eat us. They're yes. trying so hard to eat us. Yep. And, uh, and, and, and CCA is the only, the only vehicle right now that's going to be able to stop them. And it's going to be a voice, a united voice of anglers and outdoor enthusiasts. And then someone just left a thing up there and said, do you have any sizzle reel, anything that will introduce them to the film or... Uh, it's, it's coming. It's coming. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're still, uh, like I said, we've got an hour's worth of, of stuff to do, of creative editing to do. Once we get those 10 episodes done, um, then we'll start releasing some clips. And, and as, once we lock in a distributor, I think once we know where the film's going to be, if it's going to be Netflix or National Geo or History Channel, wherever it's going to end up, once we know where it is and when it's going to premiere, then we'll start doing a, a big media push with clips and, and, and a lot of teaser, a lot of teasers to get you guys hooked. Do you want donations to your museum? Someone just asked. Do you want what? Donations to your museum. See oh. the rotation right there? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm how to donate to Michael's museum. <laughs>
Uh, I don't know. Uh, just, uh, yeah, you can contact, you can contact inside sport fishing at Mac.com or on any Instagram or social media. Uh, or, uh, we have the website, uh, the history of and contact information is at the bottom of that. So yeah, feel free to get in touch with me. Nice. Well, gang, we're going to wrap this thing up. We got tons of stuff to do. Michael's got a million miles of film to edit. Elliot's got a million other people to take care Hi, of. Billy. Besides <laughs> me and Michael, I want to thank everybody for everything you do to make me relevant. Thanks for watching all my dumb videos and watching my podcast and checking out all the silly pictures and supporting me and Kelly and our all our rescue animals, Marley and Finn and Dolly and just thank you, everybody, very, very much. I, please do yourself a favor. Turn off the news. Try to have a great weekend. And I'll see everybody on Monday with a whole bunch of more truth to talk about. And, Michael Folks, thank you very, very much. You are a saint for doing this for me. Thank, uh, David, you. thank you. It's been my pleasure, always. All right, everybody. See ya. Take care.